Well, good morning, church. Hope you're doing well. My name's Landon. I'm one of the pastors here. Super excited for today. It's going to be a great, great Sunday. And uh, if you don't know me, I'm the next generation pastor here. So I oversee kids ministry and our student ministry teams. And uh, you all have a great kids team and a great student team that's leading your kids and students. I'm so proud to get to serve alongside of them. But uh, we've been in a series called We Can Know. And in this series, we've been journeying through the first John, going verse by verse. And so I'm excited to continue that series today. And as always, thank you, Pastor Trent, for the opportunity to share this pulpit and be up here on stage and preach today. We love serving. We really do. We love, us young guys, we love serving on this team here. Like, it's a great place to be. It's not just a job for us. It is a calling, and we love being a part of it. So thank you, Pastor Trent. Love you, brother. So let's get started today. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 2. And uh, I wanted to read the first verse of our text today right off the bat, just to kind of set the stage for where we're going to be headed today. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, go with me to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, and this is where we'll be. He addresses them as my little children, which is not talking to kids. He's talk, it's just kind of a, a term of endearment for his spiritual sons and children. He says, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin. Now, I'm gonna stop right there because this really sets up our, our time today. Because if you read that, that passage, if anyone does sin, what he's saying in the Greek is, if anyone does sin, and they will. So it's not like this idea of like, oh, maybe we can not sin the rest of our lives as humans. No, no. there's an expectation to the Christians there that they probably and they definitely will sin. So what? should we do? So if you know me, you know that I love, one of the things that I love more than anything else is seeing people give their lives to Christ. I absolutely love it. I love seeing people raise their hand or stand up and say, hey, I'm ready to go from death to life. I'm ready to give Jesus all authority of my life. It's my favorite thing to watch happen. And if you've heard me preach before, you know that the way when I give an invitation, often what I will do is, is I'll say, all right, here's our time. It's one, two, three, stand up. So I've, I work with kids and students. And so in the student ministry, we've seen hundreds of students give their lives to Christ. It's amazing. And so on a Wednesday night, you know, here, here's how it kind of works. And maybe you, you've, you've seen this before. You know, like the, the music will kind of come in in the room and it's kind of like that moment. And like, like you preach the gospel and you're just ready to see kids like give their lives to Jesus. And so for me, the way I kind of do it is I'll say, one, this is the best decision you'll ever make. Two, this is better than anything you could ever dream of. Three, stand up. And then the whole room goes crazy and, and people are giving high fives. You see tears. And so for the first few years in our student ministry, we would do that just about every single night. And we were seeing kids get saved left and right. So one day we were doing that one, two, three, stand up. And, and, the, and a bunch of students stood up and I, I see people in the back. I see them on the left. I see them on the right. And then I see this kid down front. We're just going to call him Johnny. All right. So little Johnny is down front and he gave his life to Jesus, which is awesome. So the next week comes by, you know how it gets. The music comes in. We're ready to go. It's exciting. Let's see people accept Jesus. One, two, three, stand up. And you know, there's a couple back here. There's a couple back here. And the next week, well, there's little Johnny again. <laughs> All right. 
uh, well, I guess we need to talk to him, have some counseling, you know, figure out, you know, you don't need to get saved every time you sin, bro. You just need to, like, just follow Jesus. And, and so we do it week after week after week. And then one night I remember, uh, and this happened many, many nights, uh, I would give the invitation, and you know how it is. It's, it's ready. We're here. One, this is the best decision you'll ever make. Two, you need to give your life to Jesus today. Three, today's the day. Stand up. And I remember no one stood up. I was like, all right, that's what the Lord wants. And little Johnny, sitting on the front row, kind of looks around. Everybody's looking up, kind of awkward. And he stands up <laughs> and raises his hand. And I'm like, thanks, Johnny. All right, I, I, I see that hand, brother. Uh, and, and the great thing is we had 100 salvations that year. The bad thing is 97 of them were Johnny. Um, and, and so uh, I don't know if you've ever done that before, though, to where, to where maybe, maybe as a kid or maybe when you were young in your faith that, that every time you'd hear a message or every time you'd hear an invitation or every time you, you would sin or you would mess up, you'd think, am I saved? Like, do I need to do this to get, did the prayer work? Did he hear it? Was he on, was he on break when I prayed that prayer? Did I mean that? Uh, and you kind of get to this point, it's like, uh, do I even know if I'm saved? And so what I've often encountered in my own life that we kind of have responses in our life to when we sin, right? And, and, and each of us kind of have different responses and sometimes we have the right response, but often we kind of do this. So what, what, what should we do? Well, here's what we often do. We often, we will deny our sin, Ah, that, that, that wasn't really sin. I don't really know about that. Uh, we'll often defer the blame of our sin, right? So we deny our sin or then we'll say, well, that wasn't really my fault. If, if, if Sally didn't do this or if, I was, if my parents weren't this way or if, if my dad, if he didn't raise me like this, then I would have never sinned. So we kind of defer the blame from our sin away from us onto somebody else. And then sometimes after it kind of sets in, we begin to doubt. Am I, am I really saved? Is this an evidence that I'm, that I'm not saved? And then, and then sometimes if we keep going down that path, it'll distract us from the things that God wants us to do. And, and I'll be honest, and if you're honest with yourself too, Christians, you've probably done all of those things. You've probably done deny. You've probably deferred. You've probably doubted. You've probably been distracted from God's mission. I know that I have, but the question I want us to answer today is what should you do? when you sin. What should you do? Well, the good news for us sinners here today, and this message is for everybody because we're all sinners, is that John is writing this passage to help us understand just that. So if you have your Bibles, we'll still be in chapter two. Now, just so, so everybody's clear, when John is writing this, he's not writing this to unbelievers. Okay, he's not writing this to just the world. He's not writing this to just the, the, the people on the outskirts of, of Rome who've never heard of the gospel. No, no, what he's writing to is he's writing to Christians in the church of Ephesus. So this would have been like you and I. He's writing to us to encourage us. And he says this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We'll start back in verse one. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, and remember in the Greek it means if anyone does sin, and they will, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. Now there's a lot going on in this passage and I wanna break it down. Um, you know, so he sets the stage by saying, 
I want you to not sin. But when you do, we have, the word is advocate, okay? Now, advocate is very simply someone who stands up for someone, who stands in their place and argues a defense on their behalf. Now, the advocate is by no means the devil. Uh, the advocate is the Lord Jesus Christ. Who, and who is he advocate? advocating against. He's advocating against our own heart, the kingdom of hell, and ultimately the devil. Now, in the scripture, the Bible often calls the devil the accuser. So anytime we have a, a, an, an accuser, there needs to be an advocate. So what the devil does is he accuses the people of God of their sin, the wrongdoing, their unworthiness to have a relationship with Jesus. So imagine a courtroom scene here, okay? Imagine a courtroom scene here, and, and you are on trial, and, and the, list of, uh, the, the list of your guilt are a mile long because it's everything you've ever done wrong. It's everything you've thought wrong. It's every, it's every thought, every deed, every action, everything that you should have done that you should not done, a sin of omission. And, and the, the, the laundry list is a mile long and you stand before a good judge and you know that when the gavel hits, you deserve punishment and not just any punishment, eternal punishment. And the accuser, the devil, sits on the other side of the courtroom and said, this is the reason why you should not go to heaven. This is the reason why you do not deserve a relationship with Jesus. But then your advocate begins to speak. And I, I love how one pastor puts it. He says this, but all is not hopeless for the guilty because there's one more character to consider in this divine courtroom scene, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he acts as an advocate or defense attorney for all those who believe savingly in him. I love this. He is a most unusual defense attorney. However, since he does not maintain his client's innocence, but rather acknowledges their guilt, nonetheless, he has never lost a case and he never will. Oh, I love that. Man, I, that fires me up. Because what happens is, is when we deserve the punishment, our advocate steps in and instead of saying, this man is innocent, he says, this man is guilty, but I'll take the punishment on it in his place. Which brings us to the next word, propitiation. And this is what propitiation means. Propitiation is simply that, that you deserve the wrath of God but instead, that wrath is propitiated onto someone else. That wrath is put onto someone else who does not deserve it. And Jesus bears the wrath from our sin and the sins of the whole world who would believe savingly in him. So to summarize what John is saying here in this first part, truth number one is this, and I know it sounds simple, but Jesus saves us from our sin. Jesus saves us from our sin. So let's bring this back to, to remember little Johnny in the story who's standing up every single night, all right? Every single time there's an invitation. Well, what we need to understand is he doubts his salvation. So he's in that moment and the question he's probably asking and the question you might be asking today is how do I know I've been saved from my sin then? Which that's what we're in this series, right? Called We Can Know. Because how, how do we know and how can we know that we have a relationship with God? Well, he answers this in verse three. And verse three says this, and by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is not in 
him, verse five, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. And he says, by this we may know. Again, coming back, if you underlined every single time it said that in, in 1 John, you'd see it so many times. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. See, here's the sole reason that we, we can know. It's because Jesus wants us to know, but he wants us to look at our lives. So how do you know if you truly love God? How do you know if you've been saved by God? How do you know if you're truly in him? It's very, very clear from this passage, you keep his commandments. So John is describing the behaviors of someone who loves God. And often what we do is we miss the clear teaching in scripture that when Jesus saves us from something, he also saves us for something as well. So truth number one is that Jesus saves you from sin. But truth number two is this, is that Jesus saves us for good works. And we often stop at the from and forget the for. That we've been saved for something, not just from something. And these two things cannot be separated because one flows directly out of the, out of the other. So the evidence of your salvation isn't that you had this touchy-feely moment when the music was on and you cried and, and, and people patted you on the back and you walked an aisle, you, you prayed a prayer. The baseline evidence for your salvation is a changed life. In a salvation, I say it all the time, a salvation that has not changed you has not saved you because they go together. They cannot be separated. Now, what John is not saying is he's not saying that you have to, you're completely changed to where every single, you never make a wrong desire again. Because remember, he's writing this to Christians and he's saying, if anyone sins, and they will. But let me summarize what I think he's saying here by saying this. People who, people who know Jesus have imperfect patterns in their lives of becoming like Jesus. So when you accepted Christ, you, you didn't become perfect, did you? But there should have been change, right? You should have became more like Jesus today than you did yesterday. See, we have imperfect patterns of becoming like Jesus. And let's go to verse seven. He says this. He said, and this is a little bit of a confusing passage, so I'll read it slowly. He says, beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've heard from the beginning. The old commandment that is the word that you have heard. And at the same time, verse eight, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is pass away, passing away and the true light is already shining. Verse nine, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And whoever says he loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Now we'll stop right there. So in short, he's saying, remember there's this old commandment, new commandment. What he's saying is, I've told you to love one another from the beginning. Even in the Old Testament said that. And the new commandment you've seen perfected in Jesus because Jesus has done that perfectly. And then he continues, it will stay here in verse nine. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. That's a, that's a weighty text right there. Whoever loves his brother and abides in the light, in him there is no cause for stumbling. Verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 
So he is making this super clear here, that the evidence that you've been saved from sin is that you love your brother, is that you, you have no hate in your heart for your brother because you can't hate your brother or your sister and love Jesus too. So truth number three brings us to this, is that the evidence of being saved is your good works. And I think a lot of Christians, I think we bought in this lie that our salvation doesn't need evidence as long as we have some form of assurance. We've heard that word assurance maybe in, in church life if you've grown up in church. So maybe your, your form of assurance was that you, you, you wrote your name in your Bible when you were a kid and, and you knew, you know, somebody told you you got saved at a VBS but your life has never changed. And, and, and I feel like we, we hold on to these signs of assurance that, yeah, I, I raised a hand or I, 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 I cried or I walked an aisle when the only evidence that God requires from us and that God wants to see in our life is that we're serving him and serving others. And I think a lot of people have bought into this life, uh, this lie. So let me ask every single one of you in here, just very, very clearly, what is the evidence that you've been saved from sin? What's the evidence? Because it's just plain wrong to believe that you can love God while not walking in love for your brother. In fact, it's an outright heresy because God loves you, God died for you, God sent his son for you, even when, you when, even when he knew that you would walk away from him. And the only reason you can love others is because Christ has first loved you. So here's my bottom line. Let's summarize it all in one statement here. My bottom line is this. People loved by God love the people God loves. People loved by God love the people God loves. And so what you and I often try to do is we try to separate this. And, and we do it sometimes without thinking, but we separate ourselves from thinking that we can be loved by God, be saved, and not walk in love for our brothers and sisters. So uh, this is what I'm gonna call, all right? This is a little illustration I brought out here called the, the, the salvation sandwich, all right? All right, yeah, it's cheesy, right? Okay, get it? <laughs> dad joke, I'm a dad. Uh, so... All right, so let's, let's try this here. Okay, a little, little crowd participation, all right? Um, so, so on the count of three, what is this? One, two, three. Bread. You guys are sharp. I, 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 I'm loving this, okay? Now, this was a little bit harder, all right? You might make the wrong choice here, all right? On the count of three, what is this? One, two, three. Turkey. Oh, I heard some hams. I heard some turkey. It is deli fresh, honey smoked, turkey breast, family size, 16 ounces. You got the value, good for you, all right? So when, what, what happens here is when we go to make a sandwich, all right? We go to make a sandwich, we take some bread and, and we take some, some ham and we put it together. Now, my wife has got me on the Whole30 right now, okay? Now, Whole30 basically means you got no sugar, no bread, no dairy, and for me, no love, no joy, no peace, no patience, no kindness, all right? So, so, I, I, I mean, yesterday I went to my nephew's birthday party. They're eating pizza and I'm eating seaweed. I'm like, what is this life? Jesus is the bread of life, not the seaweed of life, all right? And so, I, I, you know, you make a good sandwich here and, and you put them together and you have a good sandwich, right? Okay, now some of y'all, you, you wanna go to like Firehouse and buy a sandwich, which I don't understand because you can make that at your house, uh, but that's a sidebar there. Um, so, so you got your sandwich, but if you take away the bread 
from the turkey. What is this now? Bread. Nobody's like, man, that's a sandwich, no meat. (laughs) And if you take it over here, it's turkey. But together, they make a sandwich. So let's say for a moment that this sandwich represents your heart being saved and changed by Jesus. We'll call it the salvation sandwich, all right? So let's say that 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 represents you coming to faith in Jesus and, and and you embarking on God's plan for your life. See, often what we do, and it's, it's just plain wrong, is we think that we can be saved without ever adding the meat, which is walking in good works. And, and, and we think that we can truly know Jesus without that. But if you take those two away from each other, it's no longer a sandwich, right? It, it, it no longer is, because one flows out of the other. And if you, it's essential that those two things are working together. So it's saved from sin and saved for good works. They are essential. You can't separate the two. You can't just be, oh, I'm saved from sin right now, but you know what? I, I, I'm just not ready to love my brother. It doesn't work. It's no longer a sandwich. It's no longer the same thing. Or, or, or what about this? Uh, what about, I believe in Jesus. I have the right belief, but... I'm separating it from the right behavior. Those two things can't be separated. See, if you have the right belief in Jesus, you're gonna have the right behavior for Jesus. Or what about this? What about my private holiness and my public mission? Okay, now, this is one that, that I think a lot of us get caught up in because we'll say, you know, especially for maybe newer believers, they'll say, you know, I, I'm still trying to figure this out. I don't think I can serve right now. I don't think I can serve right now because I, I, I just don't have it all together. But if you're trying to be holy and to serve Jesus in your private life, then that's always going to lead to a public life that is set on fire for him. Or, or maybe some, some people have been Christians for a while, they'll say things like this. You know, I'm just in a season right now. I'm just in a season of focusing on myself. That's called selfishness, <laughs> all right? See, anytime you have private holiness where you love Jesus and you're trying to kill those, that sin in your life and you're trying to overcome those desires, if it's not leading you to being on mission for Jesus, it wasn't holiness in the first place. It was just a season of selfishness. Or what about this? Reading scripture and reaching others. I know a lot of people who love their Bibles. I'm one of them. And guess what? For me, I can spend so much time working on a sermon in my office or at my house that I forget that God's called me to be in the gym and the coffee shop and at the grocery store reaching others. Or maybe it's a a love for Jesus and a love for people. My point is you can't separate the two and still have salvation. They just don't work. It's an evidence that you never gave your life to Christ if those things are not Together, So what does he say? Verse 11, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. It's a heresy to think that you can live in light while walking in darkness. So how do you walk in light? How do you do that? Well, you, you love, Right? And I get it, there's people groups and there's people and people groups that we just, we struggle to love. 
I have them, you have them, and God's calling us to soften our, he's, he wants to soften our hearts towards those people that we are commanded to love. What about this? What about people who, who look different than you? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's that you're a younger person and you just struggle to love the elderly. Or maybe you're an elderly person and you, you struggle to, to love younger people. Or, or, or maybe you are a, a white American as I am and you struggle to love your brothers and sisters of color or you, loved, or, or you struggle to love somebody who, who's from a different nation. Who, 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 they just maybe look a little bit different than you and you struggle to love them. Maybe, maybe uh, you, you struggle to, to, to love people with, with special needs. And, and, and maybe God's just calling you, you need to soften your heart because they were made in my image, as he would say. Maybe it's people who behave differently than you. And maybe because they're really, really loud people and you're more of a soft, quiet introvert, you just struggle to love those people. Or maybe they just outright walk in sin. Maybe they're a part of the LGBTQ community and, and you, just, you just can't love people who you think are, are behaving wrongly and that you believe that they're hate, behaving wrongly. Maybe, maybe it's somebody who, who, who parties too much or maybe they behave and they're just like, you just struggle to love the person who's always serving Jesus. And you're like, and it just reminds you of where maybe you failed in your life. And, and, and you are called to love people who behave differently than you. What about people who believe differently than you? What about people who, who don't serve Jesus, who are of another religion? Maybe it's Muslims. Maybe it's, I don't know, fill in the blank. People who believe differently than you about life. Or what about this? What about people who vote different than you? I, I, I get it. In a, in a politically heated season, man, it's hard to, to stay on social media and read caricatures all day of the other side while never talking to the other side, while never knowing anybody. And it's, it's hard to love somebody you refuse to be around and you refuse to, to talk to. I don't know who it is for you, but, but Jesus is clearly calling us to love our brothers and sisters. And usually the person you are the least like is who God wants to soften your heart to love. And John is clear, we must be people who love Jesus and love the people of Jesus. See, wouldn't it be amazing if people who didn't talk like us People didn't talk like us, look like us, believe like us, behave like us, vote like us, could belong like us because they're loved by a God just like us who died for them just like us. Wouldn't that be amazing if that could happen because we decided that we would be, my bottom line, people who are loved by God, who love the people that God loves. So that brings us back to where we started today. So what should we do when we sin? Because we've all been there. We've all been in a place in our life to where we've told God we wouldn't do it. And we did it again anyways. What should we do when we sin? Well, what do we see from 1 John? Number one is we look to Jesus. Remember, he's our advocate. He's our propitiation. He took all the wrath for us. We look to him. I love how Hebrews talks about it. He says that we fix our eyes on, we, we lay off every weight and everything that so easily, uh, so easily enslaves us and we 
focus and we set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for who endured the cross and despised its shame and is now seated at the right hand of God. So the best thing you can do is when you sin is get your eyes back on Jesus. You ever been driving and, and you kind of start looking to see if, if, if you're going off the road over here? What do you normally do? You start going to that side. I remember when I was 16 years old, my, my driving teacher, he said, don't look to the left or the right. He said, focus your eyes straight on. Because when you see the goal, you know where to go. So when you sin, don't think, oh, I doubt and I'm deferring and I'm denying. No, no, we put our eyes back on Jesus because he's our advocate when the accuser says, you're not worthy to serve. You're not worthy to, to serve God's people. You're not worthy to go on mission. You're not worthy to walk in the Holy Spirit. No, no, when we set our eyes on Jesus, we know who he is. And then, only then can we walk like Jesus, like he says in verse six. So when we see him, we know where to go. What does verse six say? Let's go back to it. He says this, by this, we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way, which he walked. Now let's, let's zero in on this here. We are called to walk in the same way which he walked. So the application for us today is to do just that. How did he walk? Well, let's think about it. Jesus, we see him all throughout the New Testament. He's investing his life in a few. He's investing most of his time in a few people, his disciples. And so should we. Pretty simple, right? All right, how do we walk in the way which God walks, which Jesus walks? Well, Jesus served others even when it wasn't convenient. Hello, the cross. So should we. Even when it's not convenient in our life. It, it was never convenient for Jesus to walk with the cross on his back. It was never convenient for, for Jesus to serve somebody even when the Pharisees were and Sadducees were watching. It was never convenient. That's how Jesus walked. So should we. Jesus had compassion on the crowds. He'd show up. And there'd be people who looked like they were sheep without a shepherd. And he'd have compassion on them. He'd do whatever to serve them. He'd heal them. He'd provide food. And so should we. And then I love this. As Jesus was there on the cross, he was willing to die for the next generation. And so should we. Because as he gave his life, yes, he was giving his life for every single person who would believe in him, who was surrounding him that day at Golgotha but he was giving his life for every person who would believe in him in the next generation as well. So this is how he walked. And knowing how he walked should change how we walk. I mean, he hung there on a cross with people watching, people spitting on him, people jeering at him so that the people in his generation and the next generation could see him in paradise. He gave his life for his generation and he gave his life for the next generation. And can I just tell you as a pastor who's been entrusted by our elders to care for the next generation, that there's a world of kids and students who need to see adults walk in the way that Jesus walks. And, and I believe that when we do that, when we come around that, the next generation will see it. And they'll notice and they'll begin to walk as we lead them because he died for them to do just that. And so I know we, we've talked about the effects of the pandemic and COVID and, and lockdown, but have you ever stopped to think about the effects of lockdown on a teenager or a child? There was an article in the New York Times 
that um, it talks about this, this insurance claim data that shows how much teen mental health has suffered during the US COVID-19 pandemic. So automatically when I saw that, I, my, my ears perked up and I wanted to read it. But I wanna read you a few excer- excerpts from this. So it says this, get ready. There was a 30 or a 334% spike in intentional self-harm among the 13 to 18 year olds in the Northeast, that's where the survey was done in August of 2020, compared to the same month the year before. 334%. It also reports that there was a 49.6% increase in depression. 67.5 increase in generalized anxiety disorder, clinically diagnosed among 19 to 22 year olds, so college kids across the US in April of 2020 compared to April of 2019. Next one. In the 13 to 18 year old group, so that's gonna be your, your, seven, your eighth graders through seniors, In the 13 to 18 year old group, claims for drug overdoses in teenagers increased 95% in March and 119% in April. For substance abuse that stopped short of overdosing, the numbers were 65% and 63% in those months respectively. And the article ends like this, and I think it's so, so good. Unlike COVID-19 itself, the emotional blowback of the pandemic can't be vaccinated away. See, this is the reality of the post-COVID existence that we're walking into. And people could fold their hands and they could despair at the news and say, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. Or we could do what the church has always done in darkness, walk in light. I mean, come on, we were made for this, Foothills. Like, this is what Jesus died for. This is our moment. When things get dark, the church is the city on the hill that shines brightly. So let me me just put it to you like this, and I'll get some crowd participation here. Um, I want you to think back to the, the, the moment you met Jesus, okay? Think back to that moment, all right? And I wanna ask you this. How many of you all, and we'll do by a show of hands, and I want you to keep your hand raised, okay? Uh, how many of you all by the show of hands uh, gave your life to Christ, let's say before the age of eight, like as a child, okay? Just leave them up. I promise this won't be long, okay? Um, what about uh, 13? So just, just keep your hands up. If you were eight, 13, okay. Um, what about before the age of 18? What about, uh, we'll say 18 to 22, your college years, Okay, so everybody, wherever you're sitting, whether you sit in the front or you're sitting in the balcony, just look around for a second. You can put your hands down. The North American Mission Board reports this, that 77% of Christians meet Jesus before the age of 18. So when you think about what COVID has done and the pandemic and the lockdown, the effect on teenagers, and then you think that basically 80% of people meet Jesus before they're 18, I'm just reminded that this is our chance. 
That if a, a, a student who's not here, a kid who's not here graduates and leaves, the chances of them meeting Jesus are slim. This is our moment. This is our chance to reach the next generation because the next generation matters. And that's what Jesus died for. This means the next generation that sits in this room and that sits in that building over there in the space that we're creating, but also for the next generation that's sitting in lost, broken, godless homes that are not here this morning and haven't been to church. This is the light we are supposed to walk in. This is the good work that Jesus saved us for. And the question isn't, do I have time? The question is, am I willing to walk in the way that Jesus walks? I mean, I could look around the room and I could tell story after story of students who and kids and families who've been changed at this church. I mean, I could just talk for hours. But the, the story that comes back in my mind immediately was the story of a, was a short little guy and he was standing up on the back row on a youth service one night. It looked like he had some potential, looked like God was doing something in his life, but he was lost until there was a pastor who saw him, who began a relationship with him, who led a small group for him and eventually got him to a fall retreat where he met Jesus. And that little short guy grew up, not in stature, but in faith, and began leading his friends to Jesus and became a pastor. All because a pastor saw him, walked towards him the way Jesus would have. And that pastor's name was Trent Stewart and that kid's name was Landon Reynolds. See, church, that's why we walk the way Jesus walks. Because kids like me are not here today and they're lost in their sin. Because students like me are far from him. Because families like mine need a move of God. We walk like Jesus walked because Jesus loves the next generation. See, you are essential in God's plan of reaching the world. See, that's why over the next few Sundays, we're, we're, we're doing some sign up to serve days in the Connect Center. Today, our, our next gen teams, our kids and students are in there. Next week, I believe our, our worship and production and guest services, and then we'll have a, another day. That's why we're here. Because we believe that part of God's plan for your life is for you to serve. And, 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 and at Foothills Church, we say this all the time, that you need to get out of your comfort zone. But hear me, we don't need volunteers here. We don't. We've never had a Sunday we couldn't do kids ministry. We've never had a Sunday that we couldn't welcome first time guests. We've never had a Wednesday night that we couldn't reach students and see them come to faith in Jesus. We've never, we, we don't need volunteers, why? Because at Foothills Church, Jesus supplies all of our needs because he promised he would build his church. But here's what you need to know, is that some kid and some student needs you. Some first time guest who's intimidated and they're, they're walking and they don't know what this black tent means. They need you to welcome them. They need you to guide them. They need you to disciple them. We don't need volunteers here, but the world needs the church. That's what we are called to do. See, you are essential in God's plan. And maybe the response for some of you isn't to, to sign up to serve today or one of our next Sundays. Maybe the, the response for some of us is just to take a look at our life and examine it. Because some of you all, you're like 15 year old Landon. And the reason you're not loving people, because I definitely wasn't, the reason you're not loving and the reason you're not serving and the reason you may have said, I'm a partner here and I'm ready to go all in 
and you haven't, is because, well, maybe you've never been saved from sin. You can't separate the two. And if you were to die tonight, you wouldn't have given Jesus the authority of your life. And you spend an eternity apart from him in a real place called hell. And you have nothing when you stand before him and say, show me the evidence that you're saved. It'd be a life of selfishness and it'd be a life that's all about me. And maybe the response for you today is just to get real with God and give Jesus the authority of your life. Someone said it once, that when King Jesus is our authority, the kingdom is our priority. So what's, what's the decision you need to make today? Is it to sign up to serve somewhere? Is it to invest? Is it to jump on our guest services team or our production team or our kids team or our student team? Or maybe it's to sign up to join Team Jesus and give your life to him. So what I'm gonna ask you to do is I'm gonna ask you to bow your head. Because I believe every single one of us, whether we're already serving or whether it's our first time here today, we all need to take a next step, right? But for some of you all, the specific next step is that, getting involved somewhere or giving your life to Jesus. And I would just ask by a show of hands with nobody looking around and maybe it's just an acknowledgement of surrender before God. Um, Is there anybody here who would just say, hey, I know God's calling me to serve somewhere in this church and I'm running from that. Would anybody just by a show of hands just put that hand up? Say, yeah, I'm running from that right now. I I need to jump in somewhere. Would you just put your hand up just as a sign to God of surrender, acknowledging? Yeah, this hand's all over the room. You can put them down. Call's clear. Jump in. Let's go. We gotta walk in light. The world's dark. Maybe if there's some of you all in the room who need to give your life to Jesus today. And here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna simply lead you through a prayer. And this prayer does not save you. It is not your assurance, but it is you talking to God and you having that moment where he changes your life and saves you from sin. And we're not gonna do the big stand up one, two, three today, but maybe you just need to make that decision. I'm gonna lead you through this prayer. So if that's you and you know that you need to give your life to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Pray this to him. Say, God, I know that you love me. And I know that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me. Come into my life so that I can live for you. I give Jesus all authority of my life today. Save me. If you prayed that prayer this morning and you gave your life to Christ, on the count of three, would you just raise your hand up? One, two, three, yes, sir, I see that hand. Anybody else just say, yeah, I see that hand over there. Praise God. Anybody else just say, yeah, that's me. Hey, for my two men here in the back who just raised their hand, and maybe if if I'm missing somebody, just wave me down, all right? For my two men in the back, I really wanna encourage you today. Tell somebody about it. Tell somebody that. Because God wants to use your stories. 
God wants to change someone's life through your changed life. So when we're done here today, out in our atrium, we have our care and prayer room. And I wanna invite you, when you're done, just walk in there and just say, hey, I just gave Jesus the authority in my life. I just got saved. Can you talk to me? And we'll, we'll, we'll disciple you, we'll get you in a group, we'll find you a place to serve. We're gonna get you on mission for Him. We'll do whatever it takes. So guys, I'm so proud of you all. Church, can we put our hands together for them? Hey, let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we leave today, Father, would we leave changed? Would we leave knowing that we've been saved from sin and for a good work? Father, I'm not sure what everybody's good work is, but I know that there's some of us who need to take that step to join in and serve, to stop by the Connect Center, to say, I'm in. I'm ready to get in the game, God. So God, use us and we are expectant for what you're gonna do because of your work here this Sunday morning. We love you and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text FC Decision to 97000, or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.